Welcome to another episode of the Low Life Motherfucking Chopper Podcast. We got a killer episode for you guys tonight. We got Kevin, aka Speed and Noise, joining us. We're going to talk about the ultimate guide to getting your XS650 highway ready. Talk about how to set them up. We're going to talk about carburetors, whether you should keep the stock ones or switch over to those VM34s, charging systems, ignitions, points, literally everything XS650 related. Plus, we're going to get into, he's got some uh, some super cool older Harleys that we're going to touch on as well. But before we get into all that good stuff, we got to kick this thing off the way we always do with these motherfucking sponsors. First up, we got Chop Cult, the hub in the home of your next build thread. So swing on over to chopcult.com, check out the free classifieds, scroll through the blog, and add yourself to that fucking Brolodex. Next, we got chopshit.com, run by the one and only Chicken Rick. This is hand-picked parts from builders across the world, all under one roof at chopshit.com. This is also where you should go to get yourself a low-life sticker to let all the people know that you are that local lowlife. Next, we got Broadway Customs out there in Englewood, Colorado. These guys are absolutely killing it. You can follow them on Instagram at broadway.customs.cycles. Tell them you heard about them on the Low Life Chopper podcast. Sounds like my dog just fell up the stairs. Holy shit. Next up, we got Lowbrow Customs. Everything you need for the road ahead since 2004. You could build an entire motorcycle off of this one website. Plus, they got a winter sale going on right now, so this is the motherfucking time. Swing on over to lowbrowcustoms.com or check them out at Lowbrow Customs on Instagram. Next, we got Paco. 53 years in the motherfucking game is no accident. These guys have all the parts you need for your Harley-Davidson motorcycles. They've got full frames. And you can customize them to be built exactly the way that you want. Also, headlights, taillights, transmission components, and a whole lot more. All at Paco. P-A-U-G-H-C-O dot com. Next, we got the homie Wes at Custom Destruction cooking up some of the dopest helmets in the motherfucking game. For the same price as a stock lid, you pick the trim package, the shell color, the liner color. It's all up to you, or you can go on his website, pick from some of the pre-made ones he's already got in stock, or send him the material, and he will make the liner out of anything you motherfucking want. Hit him up at Custom Destruction on Instagram, that's the best place to get in touch with him, or go directly to CustomDestruction.com. Next, we got yours truly, Faro Fabrication, right here in Londonderry, New Hampshire. If you need a frame hardtailed, gas tank modifications, case repairs on that troublesome motor that you didn't shim, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, hit me up at Faro, that's F-E-R-R-O, Fabrication, on Instagram. Shoot me a message and let me know how I can help you get that chopper back on the road. And then last but not least, we got 
Loctite's Chop Shop. If you need pinstriping work, hit him up at Loctite's Chop Shop on Instagram and get that thing painted. All right. So we won't dilly-dally on this one. We got a good two hours uh, with Kevin, so we will just go ahead and jump right into this thing. All right, guys, we are live on the line with Kevin Patrick, a.k.a. Speed and Noise on Instagram. Welcome to the show, brother. Great. Thanks for having me. Dude, it is our pleasure. We were taking a look through your page uh, just a couple minutes ago, and you have quite the fleet, buddy. Oh, yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, it's, yeah, you say it's kind of a sickness. I can't help it. Exactly. And it's a sickness for a lot of people, but we were definitely, there's so many top tier builds on there. It's not just a collection. This is one of the the things me and Loctite were talking about is it's not just a whole bunch of bikes because a lot of people own a lot of bikes, but you have a lot of builds. Um, so I think the best place to start before we even get into how you develop the building skills and all that is just how do you start out with motorcycles in general? Well, um, I'm actually a third generation motorcycle rider. My dad apparently had an Indian chief back in the forties. Well, we don't really know if it was his or even borrowed, but it was basically cheap transportation. Uh, and then my dad got into bikes when he was about 25 and uh, he always rode Japanese bikes. So I grew up with him. And then I started riding when I was about 25. Uh, I learned from him. I learned on his Nighthawk 750, which I actually have in the garage right now. Uh, and I had sport bikes, had a few of them and crashed every one of them. And then I, for some reason, saw cafe racers somewhere and uh, vintage bikes. And I thought that looked cool. So I bought a CB750 with a charging problem and threw it in my basement and uh, never got it fixed and ended up burning up some wires, hooking a battery up backwards. <laughs> That kind of like started the ball rolling and I ended up, um, I got a, an XT, no, a TX 500, which is like an XS. And it was like 200 bucks on Craigslist. Um, it needed just a few things that were right up my alley, like putting the pipes back on, hooking the plug wires up. I got it running, rode it around and loved it. And then after that, I just, I, uh, I ended up just like collecting bikes, buying and selling them uh, until I met a friend up in, uh, Saugerties, because I'm in I'm in Newburgh, New York. A friend up in Saugerties when I was going to school in New Paltz. Uh, Kyle at Leadfist Cycles uh, got me into building them. He came over to buy a bike one day and started talking to me about custom bikes because he had a shop up in, up in uh, Kingston. Uh, so we ended up becoming friends, and I built my first XS with him, which is actually I still have it, and it's still my favorite bike to this day. Oh no shit! Which uh, which one was that? That's um, it's a little drop seat swing arm bike. It's a '73, so the frame is actually kind of smaller than the later ones, and it's been through several motors. Um, but it's just it's a tight little bike that's really fun to ride, and you know I hop on it and I kind of uh, we joke around. We've got a group of friends that are in Japanese bikes, and uh, we say that the the bike has the oni, which is the Japanese demon. And when you get on this bike, you get like possessed by the Oni and you, you end up riding kind of like a maniac. So I love it's, it. It's yeah, dude. So a 73, that's a, so that's one of the earlier ones for the XS. How did you, how did you come to own that bike? That was, um, that was on Craigslist at a dealer in Jersey. And 
it was real cheap. It wasn't running. Somebody had tried to make like a, you know, a sort of a chopper out of it like they did in the 70s with, with bikes like that. They put like six over forks on it, twisted Z-bars, a big leather seat. Um, so I got it running and quickly tore into that and got rid of it. Made it like really short instead of long like that. Yeah, and it looks like you've got it's hard to tell because I don't know how big the bike is, but it looks, it almost looks like you've got like a 23 inch front tire on that. What size is that? On that bike, there is a 21. It's okay. uh, an XT 500. Yeah. The, with the drum brake on it, right? It's like almost like a dirt. Yeah. Bike. Yeah. Mini drum off of an XT 500. Now, is that a direct bolt up on those, on that, uh, excess, um, Jesus axle. No, the, the excess axle is a 17 millimeter and the XT is a five, um, 15 millimeter. So what I usually do is I'll just make little shims to bolt an XT axle into the excess forks, like a, a millimeter thick piece of stainless wrapped around it. Oh, right. And see. Then I can, yeah, that gets all sandwiched in. And the stock spacer from the XT almost works perfectly. Um, and on that bike, we just welded um, aluminum brakes down to the lower fork after we shaved it. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mentioned this too. This was a uh, a popular choice. When I was building my XS650, that XT500 front brake setup was on the forums. There was a guy, I, can't, I wish I could remember the guy's name so I could give him a shout out, but it was a white and red XS. And he had one of those on there. And I remember seeing a forum post about that and how nicely it nestled if you put a little tab right on the fork and it cleaned up the bars, no master cylinder. Does it, does it work at all? Or is it, is it somewhat cosmetic with the drum up there? It works. I would say maybe like half as well as a disc would, um, but the bike is so light. I mean, I mostly use the rear brake, um, but the bike being so light and, you know, I'm not a very big guy either. Um, the, the rear and the front work pretty well, like definitely well enough to lock the rear brake up in the back. And uh, if you're like, let's say you're cruising at like 50 miles an hour and you slam on the front brake, you're going to slow down pretty quickly. It's not like you're going to go over the bars or anything like that. Gotcha. But, uh, it works, works decent. That's awesome. And you on that one, you have the drum rear in the back, which is notoriously uh, gets a bad rap online. How do you feel about that? Oh, really? I, I hadn't heard that. I love them. Oh, dude, everybody it's- talks relentless amounts of shit about how the... <laughs> <laughs> they don't really they don't work at all and you you just there's only people describe it as like an on off where basically either locks up or it isn't stopping the bike um i was never particularly <laughs> good at adjusting the drum brakes but it's one of those things where people say if you set it up right it works great so it sounds like you're more in that camp exactly. yeah they're pretty easy you know i just um i'll jack the bike up and let the rear wheel spin and then you you set it just so that it's um just engaging enough. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe, but like there's um, a little get to the point where the brake. Yeah, I think I just get like I'll, I'll tighten it until it starts to drag, and then I'll back it off maybe a half a turn on the adjuster in the back. Uh, you don't want it too tight because then, you, like you said, as soon as you step on it, you're gonna lock it up. But um, and usually I'll take it out for a test ride, obviously, before I really you know get on it. Uh, but so that you've got enough like leeway where you can you can hit it softly and it'll slow down or you can stomp on it and it'll get to the point of locking up but you don't want it to lock up quickly like you get it so that it's only locking up when you really stomp on it so if you wanted to you could 
Gotcha. Yeah. It seems like you got, you have it down to a science. Uh, and we, I don't know if we mentioned it already, but you have 15 or 20 of these things, right? Excesses. Yeah. I lost track. Honestly. <laughs> that is a big collection. And the 73 is your favorite one though. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's my favorite bike I've ever had. Was it also the first XS you ever had? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was the first 650. Besides, the only other XS I had was that it was called a TX 500. And yeah. actually, the 73 is the 73 is called a TX 650. They didn't go to the name XS until 75. Oh, I didn't even realize that. That's cool. So yeah, no they had the XS. They had the XS one in. Uh, 1771 XS1 and B, and then XS2 was the first disc brake. It was a red and white one, 72. And oddly enough, I've had a whole bunch of those over the last couple of years. They just seem to pop up. And then 73 was a TX, and 74 was a TX. Do you have any of those front drum from the XSs? Those things are so hard to find. Yeah, because I have them all. <laughs> Oh, do you? You got a couple? <laughs> I probably have four or five of them, yeah. Dude, that is a that's a gold mine you're sitting on right there. Okay. That was like the envy of the whole forums was like, oh man, those things you'd see one on eBay and it'd get scooped up immediately for like a thousand bucks. It was wild. And that was back then. I can't even imagine what they go for these days. Um actually maybe not that much. There's one on eBay right now for about four fifty if you want to go scoop it up. Oh, there you go. That's a that's a much more fair price. For everybody yeah. that didn't want to deal with doing the uh, the bearing conversion there or the axle conversion, everyone's like, I just want the bolt-up one. I'll pay any price to just be able to go right to a drum. You still need the brake stay, but there's a guy in, I think it's Indonesia or Taiwan, that makes a bunch of SR500 custom parts, mm-hmm. and he's got some, um, some SS parts. Like, you can get all these fin covers and stuff, but he makes a brake stay to bolt the, because uh, in, in Asia, a lot of the SR400s have a drum brake front wheel, just like that. And it bolts to the stock disc brake mounts on the lowers. And I got one from him, and it um, it almost fits the XS1 drum. You, I'm just going to have to shave down the um, a little bit of the thickness that fits into the notch on the wheel. I think it'll work. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's like, I don't know, the the obsession has always been, it seems like, for people to have the drum brakes on the front, but the disc one, I did have a disc on mine, and I will say it worked, worked really well, and those XSs have such a nice, tidy front brake caliper, at least the one that I had did. I had a 76. I don't know if that was particularly small, but it was just a tiny little triangle. You barely even noticed it there, and it worked yeah, well. Yeah, that's the... That's a 34 millimeter forks that has the caliper in the front, which are a little smaller. And then he went to a bigger uh, 35 millimeter front end with a caliper in the back, which they work well. Um, but you can also put um, you can put a Brembo setup on that too. I have seen people put that on there, but I remember being disappointed too. The uh, the 30 the slightly smaller front end on mine was the only one that you couldn't get the aftermarket. Uh, like six over tubes for they only made it for that thicker one what'd you say it was 35 
that they went to yeah. uh, after the fact. Yeah. And I remember wanting so badly to do it like a three or four over on it and could never get my hands on tubes unless it was going to do a whole front end swap. Yeah, I didn't realize that, but the front ends do just swap right over. The stems are the same length and diameter. That's true. So you have this excess, you build this thing out. But before, actually, you know what? We should back up a second because obviously this build took some time, took, took some dedication. Where did you get the skills to work on bikes? Uh, well, um, I've always been, you know, artistic and in, into using my hands and, and, uh, and building things. Uh, and I wasn't that mechanically inclined. I started getting into the old bikes and learn how to work on them slowly. Um, but then actually customizing them, it was really Kyle at, at Leadfist. Uh, I was in college at New Paltz at the time for ceramics and for art education. Uh, and then on the weekends, I'd bring this bike up. Um, to shop up in Saugerties and he basically through that, through that build, like he showed me a bunch of stuff and you now he would be welding all the pieces that I would, you know, if I made something or whatever and guided me along the way to do that. So that was actually really great. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's great to have a mentor in that kind of thing, huh? Yeah, definitely. And um, I feel like that's how it works a lot of times. Like, you know, um, after the fact, like after, after I learned and, you know, anytime I can, I don't know if it's like the teacher in me, but I always try to help other people out whenever they're having problems or, you know, people just get into the, into the, the steam, especially with, with Japanese bikes. You know, a lot of times the bikes that I sell are to kids who it's like their first bike or their first custom bike. So you got to kind of pass the torch to one of those kids. Absolutely. And that's a big part of the reason we wanted to have you on tonight, just to talk about, we get a lot of people with questions about XS650s. We obviously both have Harleys. We talk a lot about those already, and that topic has been plenty covered. But for all the people... I think there's, there, go ahead. I, I think there's two big questions that everybody asks. And I think the first one is the proper jetting and how to make an XS run good. And what do you do to make this thing run down the highway without sounding like it's going to blow up? All right. <laughs> I think those are the two questions that literally anybody has an XS asks us, and we're like, we don't know. <laughs> it's a great question. All right. So first off, um, jetting, and we're probably talking about pod filters and open pipes. I would assume, or yeah. pod so filters is, and like, like a so pretty, I, really- I would assume yeah. that most people. I mean, and, and I don't know dick about XSs, but everything that I've ever seen, like everybody's doing the Makuni carbs. Obviously, they're not keeping the stock ones on there and all that shit. So, you say that, but I don't. Some people are, but a lot of. Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying a lot. Yeah. I yeah. that right in. They're usually running the two Maconis. Um, A lot of people do, and a lot of people really love them. Um, I know Hugh from Hugh's Handbuilt, who's one of the biggest in, in the excess world. Yep. He just says put new Maconis on, and you're not going to have to worry about any of, uh, you know, anything that could have gone wrong in the last 40 years on those carburetors. But personally, I like the, um, the mid to late seventies BS 38 carbs. Um, there are CV carbs. They've got a diaphragm just like your Harley CV carb and they adjust the like altitude. God intended. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love the CVs as, as you'll find out. They're great. Yeah. They're great carbs. 
So um, <laughs> what I do is I, I uh, go through them. I take them completely apart. I, I just use the carb dip. I wish I had an ultrasonic cleaner, but I don't. Yeah. And I just put like the rebuild kits in it, but then I just jet it. Um, I usually I go up one on the pilot and I'll go up approximately four steps on the main. And on those carbs, the steps are 2.5 increments. So it'll go to like one from 140 to 142.5 and then to 145. Uh, so offhand, I think I'm on the pilots, depending the 76 and seven are different than the 78 and nine, but I think it's around the 30 pilot and uh, typically on the mains on that 140, to one, I think it's 140 or, yeah, 140 to 145 approximately. Okay. Notes so this gets you uh, away from. People can uh, can remember this when people ask us in the DMs here. So, so this like gets you away from like that slide thing that like Makunis have, right? Like where like you're adjusting up and down and all that bullshit. I'm assuming it's just like a regular yeah. like Harley CV card that you're talking about. Well, same design. Yeah. I don't think I've ever really had a Harley CV carb apart, but it's got the, the diaphragm on top, which controls the slide. Yep. Whereas the Makuni round slide has a cable pulling the slide up and down. Right. When it's got the same needle going through the bottom of the slide. So on both of those carbs, you can raise and lower the needle also with the clips. And some people will say to do that on the, uh, on the excess carbs. I did that. I think I raised it in one clip and made everything richer, but then I ended up going back down to the stock middle clip. Got it. And so on those BS 38s, this is one thing that people ask about too, because the VM 34s, you got a five position needle. Uh, does the BS 38 have that too? You got all five or is it just a three clip? Five. Five. Okay. And not on the uh, 76 and sevens, I believe. Um, there, oh, those, those years are also linked by a plate. And the earlier years are basically the same car, but they're independent. Um, and when I first uh, built that 73, I had the independent ones on it. And it would backfire and like blow one carb off. And the fuel lines would get disconnected and fuel would be spilling everywhere. So I kind of like the ones that are linked together. Got it. Yeah. But on the, uh, the 70, 76 and 7, the, if you look down into the top of the slide, the only thing holding the needle in is a little donut with a spring on it. So they're super easy to pop apart and change the needle clip if you wanted to. Whereas the uh, 77 eights have like a circlip way down in there. That's kind of a pain to get to. That yeah, circlip, circlips yeah. suck. <laughs> that yeah. is a pain. And even the VM 34s have that brass retaining circlip that you drop in, but it's, it, it's kind of a pain. You almost have to turn the carb upside down and put it, up into the carb and then spin it around to get it to hold. It's, it's kind of a pain in the dick. Yeah. But you can adjust them quickly. You can pop it out just like the 76 and sevens. Yeah, exactly. So I had, I had the 76 and I mean, my carbs were toast when I bought that thing, it was in like a bush. There was a, all kinds of wildlife growing out of it. And <laughs> those, those carbs got thrown out immediately and replaced with the VM 34s. I was actually watching a lot of, uh, Hughes, uh, blog posts and things like that at the time. And I, I bought right into the, I'm going to get the VM 34s. I will say I put those VM 34s on. I never, never touched them after that. It was definitely a quick solution, but it is, 
these days, I, I think, what are they going for? 500 bucks? That kit? Um, yeah, probably about that. With Because you really need to get those aluminum intakes. I've heard that um, yeah. there are rubber intakes that, that bolt on, but uh, there's I think there's too much flexibility and always end up cracking. I so they, like the intakes are like 80 bucks a piece or for a pair anyway. So add that all up. Right, exactly. Yeah, and I think these days they're good uh, and they sell them as a kit now. Right? And I know I there used to be a website called xs650.com that I bought these carbs through. I feel like that website disappeared. Um, or at least the storefront portion did. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was like a very 90s looking thing, just like text on a web page, and you had to call a number to order. Um, there was a few. Honestly, I didn't go on them much. I know there was like 650 Central, or it was oh, one of the forums. I think that's what it was. Six, yeah, it was 650 Central. I, I, I found it through the forums. Yeah, and you called the guy, and I actually talked to the guy, like picked up the phone and everything. Yeah. I'm like, wow. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. I think it was the guy that ran the forum had a website that he sold stuff. Yeah, that was the was kit. Good. Back in the day, you got the carbs with the, the aluminum intakes for 400 bucks. And I was telling people 400 bucks for like 10 years after that. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> you're a fucking liar. <laughs> yeah, they're like, Definitely dude, it's 550. I'm like, oh, I forgot. For just the carbs. <laughs> And he probably had them like set up so that, like you said, you didn't even have to touch them. He Jet did. Yeah, he had jet kits in them, and he's like, "Start here." And I started there, and I never changed. You can you can get cheaper ones on eBay or whatever, but they're definitely not jetted. And sometimes they're not even four stroke carbs. It's like a snowmobile carb or something like that. I, yeah, I had heard about the like M thirty four. You'll get anything. Yeah, it was it was dicey back then, and everybody on the forums when they weren't busy screaming at people who took their front brakes off they were reminding you not to get the <laughs> snowmobile carbs and to get the ones from this guy yeah so you must are you still on the uh the 650 forums uh, uh no i only just go on there if i have a question about something you know something i can't figure out how something fits together right i was going to be surprised if if you were because I always found it slightly unwelcoming to the, the chopper side of things. It was very, very much to the, like, if you were going to break out a manual by candlelight, that was, they were loving you. But if you were going <laughs> to do anything chopper related, they're like, this is blasphemy. You get this shit off my forum. Yeah. A lot of those, those forums, they either just yell at you to get a manual or they would yell at you to go look up the topic you're asking about and find another thread. <laughs> they never really wanted to help you. Dude, the the use the search. Dude, that shit drives comments. me nuts. Is when like use the internet. You're like, what do you think I'm doing? <laughs> like I'm this literally on the internet. <laughs> yeah, actually, back then, uh, um, I still go on occasionally, but I was on the Jockey Journal a long time ago. Like this is like ten years ago, and then uh, and then they banished Japanese bikes, but I would go on there to find stuff about Triumphs and Harleys, uh, and then Chop Cult started, and the, that forum was great for a while. You know, I still go on and I look up uh, or, you, you know, Google something and you find a chop ball thread and you find the info you need. And it's still have all the same things with the classifieds. But I remember going on, I would check chop cult forums daily. Oh, yeah. And they still got a, a good heavy presence over there. They keep the blog up. They, they, they're like in touch with the with the community and people don't scream at you for doing 
chopper related things, uh, <laughs> as you might expect. But it, yeah. I, I thought that was awesome. Lisa's great over there. Yeah, I didn't mean to say that they're not still great. I just, I, I yeah. interact with them on Instagram now. You know, like you see all their posts all the time on Instagram and, yeah. and they're really involved with the scene. I just, uh, I'm thinking like back to pre-Instagram days for me. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's wild to think how old these things are. You know, they, they've been around way before people had a, like a handle associated with it. It was just the website. Yeah. The stone age of the internet. Honestly. So these accesses, the other the thing in addition to the, uh, actually, before we even move on from that topic, you got BS38s on all of them, all of your accesses? Yeah, I have a couple with the BS34s just because they were on it and running, but they're not my favorite. That's what the 76 would have had, right? Is the BS34? Uh, no, the 34s are the later. Uh, they came on the specials from 79 oh. up, and they have the chrome steel tops. And they're, they're almost the same, but they're not as tunable. I think the air, the air fuel mixture screw, one of, the, one of them is actually blocked off from the factory. And, People are like, oh, you just drill it out. But I don't even bother. I just usually pop the uh, 38s on. Yeah. Yeah, my brother had a 1980 that had those. And I remember we took them apart, too. And then we found that the floats, the float on one of them was black plastic. And the other one, it was like soldered brass. And I'm like, how are they different? It's a bench. Oh, yeah. Well, somebody put it in there. uh, Yeah, a lot of the later ones are plastic. I didn't know they interchanged, or maybe they do. Maybe they don't, and somebody messed up. Oh, I bet they don't. I bet that that was why it ran like dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> There's a problem. Yeah, that, uh, as soon as we saw that, we said, yeah, we should probably order two of the same one. Probably be better. Yeah. While we're on the topic of changing things that people are going to yell at me about, um, I will also, uh, one of the things that I always do is put points in motors, even the later ones that don't have points in them. The ones that the specials usually had electronic ignition. Yep. I'll go ahead and put points in the top of the motor. I love and it. And the electronic, the um, mechanical advance, because you can fix them on the side of the road. Hey, listen, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. I just put points in my 94 Evo big twin, which is ridiculous, oh, man. but it's just, is, just like, is it basically like shovel head points? Yep. Exactly. Shovel head points. Oh, good to know. Yeah, that fits right in there. Actually, I took the whole thing. I took the whole mechanical advance from a shovel head and the backing plate from a shovel head and slapped it right in the Evo. So it, uh, it yeah, and then when, you, when you break down, then you can go to advance and get uh, Chevy 350 points, right? That's it. Yep. The blue, uh, blue streaks. Yeah, that's great. Anything to, to get you back on the road. Yes, exactly. And it's, dude, it's so cheap, 25 bucks for another set of points and the condenser. So now I have, uh, I actually lost the, you know, the tiny, tiny little screws that hold the points in the condenser onto the backing plate. Yeah. I, uh, I managed to lose it and I don't know how I did that, but not lost it while I was riding. I just like dropped it and then never found it. And uh, so I had to buy a second set of points just to get that little screw. So now I got a backup. Yeah. That's probably not a bad thing to keep in your tool roll. Yeah, definitely. It is. It's handy. And so the XS was particularly easy because you had the mechanical advance on the one side and then your points are right there on the other. And it's just two 
Phillips screwdriver bolts away from you being able to work on it. Yeah, and you've got your tiny excess is easy to work on the shovel. <laughs> it was right there, right there at the top. Of the I think motor. I think you I think you just lied on the podcast. <laughs> you didn't even have to crouch down; it was at the top of the motor. Dude, when I ever first seen inside the top of an XS motor, I was like, nah, this ain't for me. <laughs> yeah, but you're not you don't have to lift the cover off. You just gotta go right on the outside there. But uh it was kind of annoying if you didn't have if you didn't have a 79 or earlier, you had to you had to buy that rod. I forget what that's called, the advanced rod that goes through the head, Kevin. Oh yeah, remember you dealt with this yeah. with your brother's bike, right? Yeah, yeah, we we he had the electronic ignition on that 1980, and the guy it was funny too because the guy was born in 79 and he wanted it to be a 79 so badly he put a 79 badge on it and everything, and it's like, dude, it's an 80. Like you can tell by the ignition, it's it's not a 79. <laughs> yeah, you also have to get um, bushings or bearings to go inside the camshaft, uh, just like the earlier ones, but the camshaft is the same. And still bored out to fit the advanced drive with the bushings or bearings on the end of it. Right. Yep. You just had to pop that in there. And that was, I don't know what those go for these days, but that was like 80 bucks back in the day. So it would be a more expensive conversion than the Harley was if you, if you were coming from a later model XS, but for any of the earlier ones, are those points easy to come by, Kevin? The the points themselves, yeah, you can get them, I think, right now, because it's two points, and a set of uh, two points and condenser is like 45 bucks or 40 bucks through, I get them from Niche Cycles. Oh, that's not bad. No. It's a lot cheaper um, than electronic ignition. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. And then you, the rod, you know, the rod, if you, usually I'll get like a good used one or even a new old stock one off eBay for like maybe 30 bucks, 35 bucks. And then the bushings, I think you need three or four of them. Um, they're like, you know, if you get them from Mike's, they're probably like five bucks, but I'm sure they're available cheaper if you know what size. Uh, but they also make little roller bearings, which are really cool. Nice. Has, Mike, has Mike's gotten any better? Uh, that was always a, a touchy subject on the forums too, about whether things from Mike's would last or not. Yeah. Um, I like Mike's. I buy from them all the time but there's certain things that I wouldn't buy from them and certain things that I kind of have a gripe about, you know, not to, not to uh, explain any BS or anything, but. Um, no, we want to give people the, the honest truth here. That's what the show is all about. Like if there's things for people to stay away from, let's tell them to steer clear of these things. And if right. it's what you like, feel free to sell it. Sure. So I'll, t- I'll tell you what I, what I set my bikes up with. Um, I, I almost always use a Hughes PMA. And I'll only get him from Hugh. He's great with everything. You know, he's like the one who, who figured out how to make this thing work using like a Banshee rotor and all that back in the day. Uh, and, and he stands behind his stuff. He does make the electronic ignition CDI like built into it now. I, uh, I had a friend who I was kind of building a bike or a kid and then he had another uh, a friend at a shop put the ignition system in. It seemed more complicated and had a couple extra things to hide, you know? Yep. So another reason why I like points is like less stuff. Uh, and when I, when I do that, the Hughes PMA and points, it can be tricky to run lights like at idle, you know, like there's almost too much draw and not enough spark. 
Yeah. So I usually upgrade the coils and on, on my little drop seat bike, I have those green monster coils. Yep. Well, I've heard some people say those aren't good, but I've, I've been running them for years. So um, Mike's makes the excess charge PMA and ignition systems. And I think other companies like TC Brothers might carry the same ones. I've had a friend who uh, has been running the, the PMA for years and said it's fine. I have one in a bike I'm working on. That's the only experience that I've had. But I know it's kind of like a copy of Hughes, right? So I, I figure why not just buy from Hughes? Um, but the thing that I would really stay away from from Mike's is their electronic ignition unit, which is, I think, like a copy of a Pamco. And yeah. from what I've heard, Pamco Pete was just like Hughes. He like handmade these little ignition systems, this little, these little electronic ignition units. Um, and he would stand by his product and everything, but then Mike's ripped them off and people were like literally returning the Mike's uh, Chinese made ones to him because they looked identical. And he got so fed up that he retired. So now he's yeah. So I, I saw that he retired when my buddy was building an XS, and I was like, "Oh, go grab!" Because I had a Pamco in mine, and I was like, "Go get one of these." And that's when I found out he was no longer in business. Yeah, it's not four hundred dollars anymore. They were <laughs> significantly more. Yeah. So, now I know um, another really good guy is Daniel at Pandemonium Cycles. He makes like really cool pipes and stuff that are that fit the excess that are not expensive and look cool. Um, and he he will rebuild your motor and do like the 277 rephase and everything. He makes his own 277 ignitions that are just like the Pamcos. I think he makes them himself. And he will recondition an old Pamco if you have one. That that shit's a bit. That's so that's good cool, to know, man. And I know that Rawhide Cycles is making an electronic ignition also. You can get it in a single or dual fire, I believe. I haven't had one, but I think it's the same system that they use in their other bikes. They've been doing electronic ignition for, like, I think Hondas and things for years, and they make ones for Harleys. And I think it's basically the same thing with a different mounting plate. They do, yeah. Um, I, like, seen, I think uh, I think Prism was selling the rawhide ignitions for a while on their website. So I have, I've seen them for Harleys too. So they definitely get into a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, I don't have experience, but it looks like they would probably stand by them. I know those are good guys. A hundred percent though. I hope everybody listens to what you're saying about the Hughes thing. Hugh, Hugh has been doing this since, since the very beginning. Uh, he, he's right that he, he pioneered that system and there's, absolutely no reason why you would bu to buy the the mike's version over the hughes one because everybody who has a reliable access will tell you just to get the hughes one and get it directly from that and one. i don't think they're really that much difference in price either no i just looked at the excess charge and there's two different ones. Oh, one has an e advancer um but the one i looked at it's like four oh geez if you needed the advance rod and everything so you'd be basically coming out at 500 and i feel like the hughes is actually even less than that um it depends he's got the basic pma and i think he actually just dropped his price funny like with all this inflation and everything during the pandemic he's like i'm gonna lower my price <laughs> yeah the pma if you're just getting the pma it's uh 290 yeah that's less than it was a year ago yeah yeah so that is a, a super solid system i 
when I was building mine, he didn't have the CDI at that time. So I actually don't know about, uh, I know he all everything he makes is good stuff. I've just never seen it in person or tried it, but that you can get the whole CDI. That's like with the coil, with the ignition module, um, that's 620. So, and he's got an upgraded uh, regulator. I don't know if I, if I had to say it. Yeah. Yeah. There's like an upgraded one that you can, you can pay a little extra for that. I think is for when you're running like really low draw led lighting. Gotcha. Did you ever mess around with the capacitor on these XS six fifties once you switched over to that PMA or did you stay with the battery? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, yeah, on my drop seat bike, that was the first one I put a PMA in and I kept the points and the thing would run great, but then you'd come to a stoplight and it would just intermittently die. Uh, so I ended up, the first thing I, I tried was I put a toggle switch in under the seat. So anytime I'd come to a light, I would kill my lights. Mm-hmm. Not great at night, honestly. Don't try that. No. <laughs> and then, and then I, I uh, upgraded the coils to those green monster coils, which are, they're like basically Dynacoil. Dynatech coils. I think they're three ohm, um, and that that fixed it. I think that's fine now. Uh, a couple other bikes that I built with the the PMAs had the same issue, and because I was building them to sell, I didn't want to like mess around with it for too long, and and also have a customer like, um, you know, have to deal with any issues. I just put small batteries in them, but um, you can actually. What I had on one bike was, I had the um, the little capacitor next to the battery with little connectors, like, you know, with the little, uh, like those OEM clips with yep. the sheaths. Yeah. So that, uh, let's say your battery died or something like that. Um, you could basically just plug it in the capacitor and keep going, even if you had to shut your lights off at the lights or whatever. Now that's cool. That's a great way to incorporate it. Cause those capacitors, like you said, they, they're so small, they weigh nothing cool to have a secondary option like that. Yeah. I could save you. Yeah. I tried the same thing with the capacitor, the PMA, and I had the same problem. It would just, at, at lights, I felt like I had to just keep a little bit of throttle open or it would want to die out on me. Yeah. Although, you know, that's uh, the same problem I have now with my shovel head. It seems to want to just die intermittently at lights. So I just keep the, the idle up. What do you have? Uh, what's the, you got a battery in that? What, what kind of ignition? Yeah, it's it's a regular big battery. It's a, it's a pretty much stock swing arm um, bike. I put a different front end on, but I think it's a, a Dyna ignition. Uh, honestly, I don't know a whole lot about it. I had a friend, uh, my friend at his shop, you know, did a bunch of work, did the top end and stuff, and got it tuned up, and it's it rides great, but it just, every once in a while, it just cut out at a light. Yeah, that's interesting. It's, uh, what do you, what do you run for a carb on it? It's got a super E. Love it. It also gets really terrible gas mileage, like 30 miles to the gallon. Even better. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I almost thought about putting a CV on that. Loctite will be yeah. excited about that. Loctite loves yeah. the CV. I'm a big, I, I, I don't know why. I just love the super E, even uh, even despite its its shortfalls. But, uh, but when we first started this show, you were a big McCooney guy. Yeah, because that's all you could get on the Roadstar. Nobody was putting Super E's on Roadstars back then. I don't even know if they're doing that now, but they should. 
Yeah, and then so it came out to the Super E side, and it's it's just a simple carb. It's easy to work on, easy to adjust, but it definitely you got to set it up right. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> do you do you um, back your accelerator pump down? I've heard people doing that. I got um, a friend of mine, Mike, at, at Cycle Stop New Jersey. He's like, you just got to back it down so it's not even doing anything. I yeah. So basically, when I had. I had just put a velocity stack on the Evo big twin. And when I was doing the initial setup, uh, once I put that on, I I put it all back to factory settings. And when you're doing the factory settings, you turn that accelerator pump completely off. And then I basically opened it the slightest little bit. And that's where I have it right now. Yep. Good to know. Yeah, that's usually the best spot for it. You watch that video on SNS. That says no gorillas when you're tightening everything and the fucking you, you put the carb on there and it says, you know, twist it, twist it out until you can feel the, so the, like the acceleration being better. And I'm like, I, I can't tell a difference at all. <laughs> I just like, I, oh, you can definitely feel it. Usually um, you go like, you'll back it down until it'll start stumbling. And then I'll you just, it. I forget what it is, like a half turn or a turn or whatever the fuck it is, but you could definitely feel it. Not the uh, not the idle screw or the mixture screw, though. Just the, the accelerator, accelerator pump. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I had it off all the way off, and I cracked the throttle open, and then I turned it on a good ways, and I cracked the throttle open, and I'm like, it sounds exactly the fucking same. Well, I think it's supposed – isn't it supposed to be for when you, when you crack that throttle? Yeah, it's supposed to be, but like I said – Maybe yours is broken, and it's it. just stuck open. Yeah, it's just doing nothing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I just rebuilt mine. Remember you gave me that, uh, that rebuild. Yeah. The rebuild kit. Yeah. So I put a, a brand new accelerator pump rod in there, brand new O-ring gasket, all that shit. So I don't know. I just never felt like it needed to be on very much because it ran fine even with it off. So I was yeah. like, fuck it, dude. We'll just. Hey, so also before I forget, um, when you said your bike dies at the light, sometimes no. I had that same problem. It turns out my charging system just wasn't working right. Or it was the battery or something. It was something like that. It was either the battery or the charging system uh, wasn't working right. I, I want to mm. say it was the battery was like, it it worked, but like didn't work. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's we switched how, it out. It was good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's funny how um, everybody blames the carburetor for everything. Oh, my God, dude. And half the time it's like your electronics or your ignition or something like that. Yeah. That's what every post you read, any old bike, like, needs some carb work. When really, it just needs to be rewired. <laughs> Actually, with my XS, I remember taking it down. I, I rode up to the city for the Brooklyn Invitational, and it was running like garbage. And it just kept getting worse. I cleaned the carb out before. I cleaned the carb out in my friend's shop at night after the Invitational, and it just wouldn't, it wouldn't fix it. And at one point, I were riding through Manhattan, well, no, Brooklyn, um, back to the shop after the invitational is dark and I look down and I have to keep on the gas to keep the bike from dying. I looked down and one of my pipes was glowing bright red. Holy and I didn't realize that I was just running like on basically on one cylinder half the time. And it was my points. I hadn't cleaned the points. Stupid. No shit. No so shit. The, the points were doing that. Yeah. That was in the beginning when I didn't really know how to work on the points. That's wild. It's funny you mentioned that too, because I was having a uh, an issue on with the Evo on the highway. That an issue that would only present itself at like top speed. I like could have to be going over eighty for it to 
to happen and it would kind of like fall on its face while I was accelerating. And Connor, uh, Connor Levinson, Wigwam Motors was over the other day and he looked at the points I took off and he was, he was pointing out that, uh, it looked like they were only touching on one side. So it wasn't like making a flat contact between the two pieces. Oh, when they come together, they weren't really book match. Yeah, yeah, it was exactly. And so I'm wondering, uh, and those were not the blue streak ones. So now when I put the blue streaks in, I'd be curious to know if that doesn't, if that isn't the whole problem right there. And it's not even carburetor related at all. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think that it would be something small like that, but it could definitely have that effect. Uh, so also before and have all these new problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steve had these problems when he tried, when he went from uh, electronic to points in his shovel and you could just, it just wouldn't fucking run right for some reason. Like who knows why it just like would not run right. And then he went back to electronic ignition. That was like runs fucking amazing. Yeah, but I think like if you're just like not if you're just like not good at points or like don't set it up right, it's just gonna run like shit. <laughs> yeah, you gotta set it up right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but before we get too sidetracked, the second part of that question is what is it possible to highway speed in excess? Yeah, like when you're talking highway speed, are you talking about like going the speed limit or are you like sixty five seventy? Yeah. Um, yeah. The problem is that, you know, people get on the highway and every, everybody's doing like 85, 90. Right. So, <laughs> but I'm saying um, if you're rolling with like chopper guys, you're usually doing like 65 set. Well, most of the time you're doing 65, 70 because yeah, they can't really go that fast either. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's buzzy, you know, like it's a rigid mounted twin cylinder. Both the pistons are going up and down at the same time. So uh, that's why, you know, guys do the, the 270 rephase because it changes that. Makes right. it smoother, but, but stock, yeah, their the pistons are like pounding up and down. Yeah, see, I've um, always thought because I'm a sportster guy, like that's what I first started riding. So like mm-hmm. we, and it's an eighty eighty three, and I still have this bike to this day. Um, but like even when I'm on the highway with that, like it is fucking loud, and that bitch sounds like it's gonna blow up, but it's not. You know, like I've ridden hundreds of miles on the highway on that bike, and I know it's fine. So I feel like guys on XS are just like, there's so much noise. It, I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> yeah, I've been on the highway. Um, you guys remember the revenge run in North Carolina that's, that show class put on? Yep. Yes. I went on the first one, and on the way back, I was the only guy on a Japanese bike. My friends had either dinos or shovel heads, and we're doing, like, I can't even imagine. Like, Got to be at least 75, 80 on the highway, and I'm like, Something's going to happen. Something's going to go wrong. My bike's going to blow up at any moment. And just then my bike shut off and my friend was next to me shaking his head. And it turns out the chain broke <laughs> and it got wedged between my swing arm and wheel. Oh, no um, shit. Fuck, dude. So it didn't, the bike didn't blow up. I knock on wood, never blown a motor up. Um, I put the, on my bike, I, I have a, a smaller rear sprocket. I went from a 34 to a 32. And it did help smooth it out. And with the 16-inch wheel, it's still it's still snappy. And that's actually the same bike that I drag raced at Oli with the same sprocket and everything. No and shit. Beat, you said 32. Beat everybody I went up against. Yeah. So I think that's, that helps a lot. It's it, I guess it's hard to tell too because like a lot of guys are doing this on choppers and like usually you don't have a speedo, so nobody even knows how fast they're going. 
like there was there was times like when we first started the show, I had the my Evo Sportster chopper and Greece had his XS650 chopper. And like there was never a time where like he was not riding side by side with me. So I've always thought like the XS is, yeah, they can do it, but they're not going to do 85, 90, like what you're saying. But you can cruise 65, 70, I feel like. I feel like people are just nervous about the goddamn noise. Yeah, they will do 85 or 90 and more, but you're not going to want to do that for a long period of time. And, and I would say even in your 83, you're not going to you're not going to want to do 90 um, for an hour on that bike. Yeah, well, the biggest problem I have is it's it's never been like I've gone so fast that like my bike doesn't want to go any faster. It's that when I'm going a long distance and I'm doing 75, 80, every, my fucking bike rattles so much because it's a rigid that shit starts breaking. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like I, yeah, I literally went man. from Manchester to my house, which is only probably, what, 30 miles, Greece? Yeah, right about. And cruising at 75, I broke my fucking headlight bracket. Oh, you know man. what I mean? It's like, that's Hell why yeah. I don't go on the highway. It's not because my bike won't do it. It's because I know shit is going to break because it vibrates like a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, hardtails are rough on parts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that shit does uh, take beat. So, I know that uh, the the rear sprocket helps a ton. That 32 is definitely a must versus the stock, yeah. which is, what, 34? Uh, in the U.S., yeah, 34. <clears throat> so... So you're saying like if you had to give advice to somebody that like really is gonna do like wants to make those long hauls, like say they want to make a show in Connecticut and Rhode Island and Jersey or whatever, what is the setup that you're gonna run on excess to like feel comfortable doing 70, we'll say, on the safe side, 65, 70? Um, well, yeah, I think I I'm not even sure if an 18-inch wheel make it, it might make a big difference actually so i'm running a 16 inch wheel with a 32 tooth sprocket <clears throat> so if you're running an 18 inch wheel that's an even bigger wheel that's basically going slower right as right. a so that might smooth it out even more um you can also go up one tooth on the on the front sprocket which i've never tried but i think that the 32 definitely did a made a big difference So are you a fan of the, or have you tried the um, fifth gear overdrive from Mike's? This is another one people ask about. Do I put it in? Do I not put it in? I had my motor apart. I did not put it in. And I kind of wish that I had. Do you have any experience with that? I haven't. And honestly, I've never rebuilt a motor. It's on my list. Um, I've been watching some YouTube videos and I don't think it's that, that difficult, especially because you can get a kit where it's the, um, you can get a 750 kit. There's another website called literally Yamaha XS650.com. And they've got a lot of stuff Mike's has, but even cheaper. And they've got this 750 kit, which is on sale right now for 450 cylinders, pistons, rings, everything you need to bolt on. And then you just oh got to do your job. You can, only- yeah. And then you can do like, yeah, 450 for the whole thing. And then you could do like different you can and there's also a website called Who's Racing, H-O-O-S, that does a lot of flat track stuff. And they've got all kinds of cams. They have like shell cams and oh, all this like race stuff that you if you really want to go crazy. But long story short, I've never rebuilt the motor because the Yamaha's are so cheap. I like you know, you could get another motor off Craigslist for two hundred bucks and throw it in your bike and Oh, I see them on Facebook Marketplace for a hundred bucks all the fucking time. 
Yeah. It's so why would I why would I bother rebuilding a bike if like like I've never blown a motor up? I've had one that I you know the original motor in that bike, my drop seat bike. I you know beat it up for years and years, and it got kind of like tired and, and not really leaky, but you know you could tell that it was not as good as it was. And I got a um, a pile of parts, a frame and motor, and a bunch of a bunch of things, including a speedometer that the odometer said two thousand miles on it. So I just threw that motor in. It's been great for years. No shit. Um, so I, but I think for your question, if if I were to completely rebuild the motor or have somebody do that, I think it would be worth a shot to try that fifth gear overdrive. Just to see what it does. Yeah, because it's only changing in, in fifth gear, you know? Right. Right. That was always the benefit versus, you know, sprocket changes, which affect every gear. You get the benefit of just your fifth gear goes up. But it's hard to say, you know, like, would it, because the, the only point against it is people are worried that it's one, it's going to be one of those Mike's excess parts that isn't worth buying that ends up cracking in there. But I actually had, had a 32 tooth rear sprocket. I had an 18 inch high shoulder aluminum rear wheel. Um, I did not mess with the front sprocket. And I felt the same way you do, basically, that I it felt like I, I could go at those higher speeds, but it didn't. Uh, I always felt like uh, I would have liked a little more in that top end. So if I ever did it again, I would advise somebody to try it to at least because I think you'll always wonder if you don't, if you have a motor apart. Yeah, I'm just saying like this. Like I said, there was so many times that me and you rode together and like we were fucking ripping. So I'm like, I feel like there's like no doubt in my mind that you could get on the highway and cruise for as long as you needed to and be okay. Yeah, it's true. I mean, of all the things that I wouldn't buy on mics, you know, like maybe electronics, like the electronic ignition, people say that some of the rubber pieces degrade quickly. You'd hope that a a gear would be made of like, you know, the proper hardened. (laughs) Good steel. (laughs) Yeah. It's just an aluminum gear. Lightweight <laughs> <laughs> for racing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, um, I don't know if you guys heard that. Uh, a couple friends and I are planning on riding vintage Japanese bikes across the country. Uh, oh shit! So you're asking about what you know, how to make your bike go well on the highway. We're probably going to avoid major highways, but um, we're hoping to be cruising at at least 65. Yeah. For most of the day, you know? Yep. And I, I, I think I'm just going to, I've got the Asian inch wheel. I'm going to do a 32 tooth sprocket in the back. Maybe I'll bring along a smaller, um, sorry, a larger front sprocket, but I don't know if I'm even going to bother. Yeah. If you're able to do it, uh, cause I wonder what that front sprocket would do to your around town activities, you know? Cause it's like three teeth in the rear for every one in the front. And I wonder if that wouldn't make it a dog off the line. If you combine them and did a, you know, change the front and the rear, I think it, you'd notice it. But for, um, you know, dropping two in the back, I didn't really notice much of it. Yeah. Agreed. If you're just doing the back, I, I'm curious about the combination of the two much better on the highway, but I wonder how it feels around town. But honestly though, the XS is so torquey off the line that even if it lost a bunch of that, I'm not sure that it would be problematic. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, are you really gonna want to race through town every time you uh, you start from a light? I do. Maybe. It's fun. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, it's definitely fun. Like, well, like on, depends. On like sometimes, like I, I sometimes I ride pretty lazily, <laughs> but like when I'm in the mood, I'm just whole shot in every light. <laughs> yeah, I'm guilty of that too. But uh, you know, for like for our cross country bikes, I'm thinking like I'm not gonna be trying to jump curbs and do wheelies and stuff um, when I'm driving through Colorado or something like yeah, that. You know? you know, you gotta make it all the way home. <laughs> yeah, especially when a couple of our friends might be on Honda 450s. Yeah. So I don't have to, I don't have to like be any So let me ask you this, yeah. planning a cross country trip on NXS, what are like some parts that you're like, I'm definitely bringing this just in case? Manual. <laughs> that way just in case you have to get on the forms you can tell them you got the manual in hand <laughs> i'm gonna bring my laptop to get on chop cut forms uh, <laughs> well definitely bringing points and condensers um i know um my friend zach and i are gonna be on on excesses so we're both running points yep i probably will put a hughes pma in that even though um it's a stock bike but i feel like of any of the things that could potentially fail in, in the Rockies or wherever, right. the alternator is high on that list. Yep. And the things that I couldn't fix on the road, right? And if I do that, then I can do the thing where you put a capacitor next to your battery, and then if anything happens with your, you know, your battery or anything else, you can just plug that capacitor in and still keep going. Right. That's smart. Run, have both of them on board. That's a good idea. Yeah. Other parts, definitely bringing uh, clutch cable and throttle cable, um, besides all the tools and things like that, uh, and spark plugs. Um, what else do I bring? Bringing tubes. So I think all our bikes are going to be running the same size tires, which is good. 18 by yeah. 19. Nice. So you could have just, you know, and it'd be great if, if everyone's running the same kind of bike. You can bring one throttle cable and one clutch cable. Right. One set of tubes. Um, extra bulbs. Yeah. Um, what size gas tank are you going to run on that for like doing some cross country shit? Oh, this is funny because I learned recently that the, the earlier excesses like the mid seventies up to 78 were a three gallon tank. And I've got actually, um, my bike has a Chrome tank and Chrome side covers that I found on eBay and it's the three gallon size. So I'm trying to get everyone to, to, uh, have big tanks so we don't have to stop or like you know you're going through the desert you don't know when the next gas station is yeah so ours are three gallon the honda um i think you know our buddy zach uh from moto combo magazine up in maine yeah 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 he super good be, dude he actually shot my yeah. wedding <laughs> oh yeah we just went to yeah. his wedding recently. No, um, yeah he may be coming with his honda 450 and that thing has like a five gallon tank on it which is insane yeah Damn. It was so um, funny yeah. when he showed up to my wedding. He was one of the photographers at my wedding, and when he showed up, dude, he was what was he on? Do you remember, Grease? He was on, uh, I believe, an Ironhead, and the yeah. pipe yep. fucking fell off as as we were riding. To dude, the and campground. he had he had MapQuest directions taped to the gas tank. I'm like, oh, dude, yeah. this kid is a fucking legend. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best. Yeah, um, you're riding, and he fucking. I look over, you just hear. I'm like, what though? He's looking down at the bike. I'm looking at the bike, and like, 
Dude, the pipe, the rear pipe is just not attached anymore. Just the fucking clip is holding the back of the pipe on the bike. Like it came off at the head? It came off at the head, dude. Oh, my wow, God. I've never seen that before. Never seen that. That happened on my Triumph once. My, I was going through, uh, right after I built my Triumph, I was riding around. Um, we were down at the Race of Gentlemen in Wildwood. And it, it sounded really weird and loud all of a sudden. I looked down, the pipe is just sticking off with like an inch gap between it and the head. They don't have a very, just like the iron heads, like it just sort of clamps on like in a really crude way. Yeah. Yeah, it's not ideal <laughs> the way it sets up. So another guy that, um, it's probably, Zach from Maine is probably going. And uh, I've been planning it. With my friend Zach from the city, I don't know if you know him, the fat Guido. He's got a oh, couple yeah. of pre- yeah. Yeah, couple yep. really cool pre-net triumphs. Uh, he and I go way back um, to our New Paltz days, and uh, he's had an excess for about the same amount of time. We were trying to, I was trying to build him like a stock bike to use for this trip, and then he had his his bike that he kind of neglected for a few years. Actually, yep. bought it. Uh, no, sorry, he sold it, and I ended up buying it from the guy he sold it to and like basically saving it for him. Cause I knew he made a mistake in selling it. Yeah. That's a um, good friend. <laughs> <laughs> so, cause that bike to him is like my drop seat bike to me. It's, right. it's like, like it's a part of me now, you know, I can't yep. ever get rid of it. It's my favorite bike. So he decided, he's like, well, why don't I just take this cross country? Like it's like almost a chopper. <laughs> you serious? I had this wafer thin little seat. So, we're in the process of, uh, of basically rebuilding the thing to make it go cross country, but also be cool. So we were going to put a stock tank on and he's like, you know, it just doesn't work. So he's going to be going cross country with a wassail tank. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. Hopefully he's bringing an extra yeah. gas can. Well, I think we're all like going to have the. Like you said, there's a couple of spots when you go into the desert, like where there isn't gas for like 130 miles. Yeah. You're, not, you're probably not doing 130 miles on a wassail tank. <laughs> Luckily, the XSs get like 50 miles of gallon. Yeah, even with true. you know getting and open filters and stuff. Uh, but we're all going to be carrying those jerry cans. You know, it's like one gallon square gas cans. That you, yep. They have clips. Yep. Both on them. Um, probably also those little fuel bottles. Like we're going to be prepared. Um, we're going to have the. Um, I've got a few sets of those. You know, those fiberglass saddlebags made by Buco with the two little lights in the back. Like real yep. Art Deco. I got a few sets of those. We're going to rig up. So. We're gonna try to be prepared. Nice. Where so where's your uh destination? Like where are you trying to get to and then back from? Originally we thought about shipping the bikes out to San Diego to a friend and then riding El Diablo run, Just keeping them there for a couple months. And since he's a teacher also, we were gonna ride back in the summer. Yeah. Um but I think EDR is like really it's a lot. And he did it before and he's got a crazy story. He actually bought a bike out there. Flew out to our friends for a week, rebuilt the motor, flew back, flew back again for EDR and rode the freaking thing down there. Um, so it's possible, but on our schedule, like I can't really take off more than a day or two here and there as a teacher because I get so much time off. Um, I think it would be tight. And also, we would have to have our bikes done in the winter and we need to test ride these things, you know, like we right, need to right. put the miles on them. I don't want to build a bike and then ship it out to California, you know. Uh, so I think EDR is probably off the table uh, and we're thinking ship them out in June and then ride them back in July. Probably take it like three weeks. 
Uh, another thought we had, we're kind of just in the beginning stages, and it also like depends on who else is going, what their schedule is, but maybe even renting a U-Haul and like just driving out there as fast as possible. You know, we get like three or four guys just around the clock, you know, yeah. stay up and drive and sleep in the back, whatever. Get out there in two or three days, probably three days at least. Yep. And then ride back, you know, that might be probably a lot cheaper than shipping four bikes out there. Yeah. I shipped a, a bike to California. It was 800 bucks. Yeah. Might be able to bundle it. And Zach's shipped probably three bikes from California or around that area. And he knows a guy that can do it and maybe bundle it together. You know, you might be able to say like, Oh, you got four or maybe right. but still, it's probably going to be like 700 bucks a piece. Yeah. Yep. A lot of money. Yep. Yeah, that's pretty fucking rad. So are you going to go the like the northern route or are you going to like try to cruise to the middle or take the southern route? Which, do you have a plan for that yet? Not at all. <laughs> I think um, we're probably going to come up with things that we'd like to see along the way. And I think a lot of those are out west. Yep. I'm thinking definitely Pacific Coast Highway up for a bit, you know, maybe heading inland um, through the Sierras. Yeah. I'd love to see uh, some of the parks, you know, in uh, – Northern California through yeah, maybe that, that might be the route, like kind of winding your way up through the badlands. But then what do you do from there? You know, you get, so a lot of like a lot of people that I've heard is like when they're coming back from California, they'll like hit like, uh, like Montana, Colorado, Dakotas, all that shit. And then drop down around the side of like Texas down to New Mexico and like skirt that way down to like Louisiana oh. and then come back up the East coast. Uh, like just because, like, I, I feel like, like once you get out, once you get past like Montana, like Colorado, and like you're like Illinois and like all that shit, like you're just looking at corn for fucking ever. You know yeah. what I mean? So you might as well go south and like see some cool shit potentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Blue Ridge Parkway, but then you still have to get across the country. Yeah, I mean, you but can still hit Blue Ridge Parkway though, because if you come, if you're doing that southern route and then you come up through Tennessee into the Carolinas, you get the Blue Ridge Parkway and then. You know what I mean? Still go that same route and drop in and back up into New York. Yeah. I'd really also like to maybe hit some events. I think the Sierra stakeout is sometime in early July. Yep. Um, and depending on yeah, when I you, you can hit next, a bunch of events around that time of year. Yeah. Uh, around, I think it's, I forget when fuel is. It'd be really cool to like, you know, end our trip or, or near the end of our trip by rolling into a show like that. Right. Um, either uh, I know Ohio's got a ton of stuff happening in the summer. There's the, yep. the two big meets is Wasion and Mid Ohio. Yeah. And then uh, fuel. They're all within like a few weeks of each other. Yeah. And then like the low route get down is around that time too, I believe. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah, I think you could definitely hit some shows for sure. Yeah. So we're, it's all um, right now. It's just sort of like a pipe dream. We got to figure. When did you say you were leaving? It's super rad. It's in the works, though, because like I think that's what's that. Oh my bad. Sorry, I was just saying. When did you say when you were leaving? It's going to be early July. Um, I'm done teaching at the end of June, and then it's my wife's birthday. Usually, right around that time. So we're probably going to do something for a week. Maybe maybe even go to Europe or something. And then, oh, sick. You know, yeah, then it's going to be probably. 
right after after July fourth. Yeah. What do you what are you scheduling for? Like a couple of weeks? I don't know. Um actually Zach from the city went cross country on modern bikes with our friend from San Diego and another friend from Albany. Yeah. And it uh, even on modern bikes, um, he was on a KTM. They had an Evo Sportster and African Twin. My friend had an African Twin. It still took him over two weeks, two and a half weeks, I think. Yeah. And they yeah. felt like they didn't see a lot. You know, they felt like yeah. they were just riding. Yeah, I, like I remember talking to uh, Rob, the crazy gentleman, and uh, he's he said like a couple times, like, and like I was saying before, is like at least you're starting to plan this because like a lot of people talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm gonna do cross country one of these days. You know what I mean? So it's like. You've taken that first step, which is rad as hell. Um, but from like talking to Rob, like me and him have talked about doing it uh, on the shovel head that I'm building now. He has a pan head that he's going to start building. So we've talked about doing it on the shovel and pan. And he's like, man, to like really get like everything out of going cross country, you need to book like four weeks. Yeah. And it depends so if I you're going to, are you going round trip or are you just going one way? Yeah, no, we're going both ways. So coming from here, like New Hampshire. Well, I'd be meeting him in New York. That's where he's at. But uh, driving, riding out, riding back. Yeah. Well, you know, those guys from Massachusetts, uh, Nick and Sam and uh, and Eric, they went out last year. I don't know if you saw that. Yep. Uh, Sam was on his, uh, he has a, a 50 EL also. And then Nick is on, I forget what, he had a panhead. And they get out there. I think Nick shipped his bike back. Eric sold his bike. And Sam rode solo back across the country. On his Holy pants. fuck! Man. Damn, oh, why'd you do sell his bike? The Evo, he had an Evo Sportster, and I think he was just done with it. I don't know. He was like, "Fuck this." <laughs> I, I guess he's like, "Well, I could get like twenty five hundred for it, or I can pay seven hundred to ship it back." Right. And Nick, you know, obviously, Nick, Nick shipped. So his was pants was back. that the plan? I think they were trying to go there and back. Right. But, okay. Um, Sam's been working on his panhead for years and has yep. gotten it pretty dialed in. Right. He did everything needed that needed to be done at this point. And then Nick had just finished his bike like a few months before that. Okay. So it just I guess he just had too many issues that arose. Right. Yep. Granted, you're riding a 70-year-old piece of machinery across the country. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta expect something's gonna happen. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so me and Rob, we've talked like either doing cross country. So from East coast to West coast, but we've also talked about just going from where we are like New York down to Tennessee, like make that our first stop. So probably two, three days, well, probably two days. Um, and then from Tennessee, get down to, um, what the fuck is the name of that place? Um, God, why can I not fucking remember? <laughs> is it a state or a city? State. Uh, Louisiana, like get down oh, like Louisiana say, and like all through that shit. <laughs> um, so that's the other route. And I kind of want to do that route more just cause I've never like got to stop in Tennessee. I've driven through it and shit, but I've never got to go there. So I think that may be the route we end up going. Yeah. That's a nice part of the country. Yeah. I've been on, um, in a car I did a big loop in a car once, but that's not a bad route. Yeah. And I've never been to Louisiana at all. So I'm about that. <laughs> yeah. We, for a few years, we've been we've been wanting to go up to uh, Nova Scotia. Oh, that'd be sick! That's awesome. Yeah, I know a couple of people have ridden up into Canada, and they say it's fucking absolutely awesome. 
I unfortunately can't go because I'm a felon, but <laughs> so stupid. Come on, Canada, fucking lighten up a little bit. <laughs> but, go to Mexico. Yeah, I can go to Mexico. And I actually wanted the, the uh, Diablo run is definitely on my list because that looks like a fucking blast. Yeah, I just wish it was in the summer some some or something that coincided with my, you know, my breaks. Right. Yeah, because it's probably tough for you to be able to take two, three weeks off from just not going to school. <laughs> yeah, I know. I already only work a half a year. Yeah. The yeah. same. I've never been in the month three. <laughs> What's that? He said, yeah, but I'm going to need another month in addition. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know I don't work much. Um, but I've, never, I've never been the born free because it's always it's always at the exact worst time. It's like the last week or two of school for me. So yeah. I can't take off for several days at the last week of school. It just right, right. Yeah, it's tough, man. A lot of those big shows are like in prime time of like when I work and like make my money you know what i mean so it's like i i'm in that same boat if i went to born free it's going to be have to like fly out there and fly home yeah just real quick yeah yeah it's definitely sounds like it's going to be an awesome trip though dude yeah i hope so i mean should be pretty epic even if we break down a bunch but hopefully that doesn't happen yeah, right. Fingers crossed. I mean, the excess really is. I know we were joking before about how the the Harleys are always leaking oil and having problems, but like the excess is a very reliable bike for most people that I've known. Uh, the excess does not give them a lot of problems. Yeah, I think when you're it's talking about vintage right. bikes, <clears throat> yeah, when you're talking about vintage bikes, you know, um, obviously, if you're talking about things that are older, like a pre-unit Triumph is, you know. 20, 30 years older than that. So obviously it'll have more problems. Um, but the, something about it, like besides that, my dad always rode Japanese bikes and he always ragged on Harleys too. I was, so I kind of grew up with that mentality. Um, it's so funny that it goes the other way. <laughs> you know, like, that, that, like the Jap bike dudes talk shit to the Harley guys and the Harley guys talk yeah. shit to the Jap bikes. But I actually, I really kind of, I really hate that. Like I hate that people look down upon, you know, XS 650s and, it's not a Harley or like you open up this magazine and it's like, just it's all Harley big twins or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I hate that. Like kind of elitist attitude. Yeah. I, I agree with that, man. And like, that's why I was so pumped when um, Clay Crick, when he did uh, the people's champ with a CB 750 oh. one, I was like, fuck yes, dude. Cause like that but, never happens. And those big shows, dude, if you're not building like a shovel or a pan or something, you're probably not going to win. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he just, like, went so over the top. It was just, it was so rad to see him do it on like a platform that not many people do anymore. Yeah. CP 750s are great. If it, if it had two carbs, I would like it more, you know, it's just the, <laughs> I've had some 550s and 750s and I do not like rebuilding four carbs at once. It's terrible. Yeah. Or two yeah. But yeah, we talked about um, times on the show about the, the headache that four carbs brings to the equation. Well, I actually yeah. have a buddy, though, that he built a super nice CB750, like super proper chopper, with like the nice um, Springer front end. And it's like raked out. It just like took years to build this thing just because his dad had one. This dude's not even really into bikes, but his dad had a CB750 when he was a kid. So he's like, it was like a tribute build for his dad. And uh, he did a two and a one. And he's like, man, I'll tell you when I ride this thing at nighttime, when like in the fall. He said it'll get so cold that the the bike will start running like shit. 
because there's only he's running the two to uh, two and a one carb on it. Oh, that's interesting. Like it's starting or something. Yeah, like I think he said, like he's like, if you put your hand on the intake, it'll be like freezing cold when you ride it in like the fall, like fall nighttime temperatures. I was like, no yeah, shit. You want your fuel to be fairly warm, right? You want your exhaust to be cool and your fuel to be warm. Right. So I know even I had um, uh, I have a, a modern Bonneville. I don't know if this one. No, this is fuel injected. I had a O2 that was um, carbureted. And the, the carburetors had this weird thing on the bowl with a wire. And I asked my friend at his shop. I was like, what the heck is this? He said, it's a, a float bowl warmer. Yeah. Warm so I'd imagine I've if you have a, that. If you got like a long two into one intake, uh, you've just got like that much space for that fuel to cool down. Right. Well, it's behind your hot motor. You know, it shouldn't cool that much. Yeah, it is interesting that it would be that it would get that cold. But I have seen those float bowl heaters too, and I don't know how cold it has to be for that to be needed. But maybe better in starting. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. I wonder if you, if you put the key on, if it would like, or would you, yeah, because you'd have to have the key on, right, for that to be working? Yeah, what do you, put the key on like a minute before you're going to start the bike? Yeah, right. Just, <laughs> then your battery's dead. You got to turn the <laughs> headlight off. You got to get the separate switch for the headlight so you don't kill the bike. <laughs> but uh, but back on CB750s, I had one of those and it was so fast. Uh, yeah. It was, in, it was like faster than my Bonneville, my new Bonneville. Oh, and uh, this had worked onto it. It was, it was like this crazy custom, uh, almost race bike. But uh, yeah. they, you know, if you want to be a purist, like they were building some crazy CB750 choppers back in the early 70s. Oh, yeah. That's what I always tell people. Like, and that's why, so I ended up getting one. I got a 69 CB750 that's eventually mm-hmm. I'm going to build it. Um, and for that really reason, it's like, it's like back in the day, it was like you were either building the shovel or pan or you were building a CB750. You know what I yeah, mean? Oh. They made all kinds of, you know, you made custom frames and Denver's made frames and stuff for them. Yep. Yeah. A lot more than Yamaha's. Yeah, I love the CB750. I think it's just a rad fucking platform. And it looks super cool when you build a chop around them. That motor is fucking huge. <laughs> yeah, it's really wide. So you, you have a 69? Yeah, 69 CB750. Is that Sandcast? Uh, I think so. Is it stock or it's like all in pieces? No, it's well, it has. So somebody like started the, I don't really know what happened. Honestly, my buddy got it. It has, a, I have a, I even have a title for it. It's a Jersey title. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it came from California because that's one of those blue stickers on the neck. Um, oh, and it's right then. Yeah. And it's, so it's a rigid, uh, it's in a rigid frame, but it looks like it might've gotten an accident or something. The neck is like a little bent, not much, but like you can see it um so i don't i don't really know too much about it but from what i was told like the motor and everything runs great but that neck had to be straightened out so it sounds like aftermarket frame but original uh 69 motor yep yeah and i I know know that's like i don't know if somebody like hardtailed it or or what but Hmm. yeah but i know that the uh the sandcast 750s go for crazy money really yeah, so before you build a chopper out of it, you might, might want to look up the restoration values. Yeah, I mean, it's already in a rigid frame. Like, I don't have a stock frame. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the title does say 69 CB750. Wow. That's cool. It's for, yeah. First year, I believe. 
Yeah, I was super pumped. But one of my buddies, even he drove from Jersey. I don't know if you know Jerry from A12 Ang. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he drove from Jersey because I was talking to him about it. I'm like, dude, I just want to build one so bad. And even if I never fucking ride it, like, I just want to build, like, the Denver Choppers fucking CB750. You know what I mean? Like, that style CB. And he just, like, showed up at my house. I was having a party at my house. He showed up and was like, hey, come over here. And wheeled that thing out of the back of his fucking van with two oh, buckets man. full of parts. I was like, well, goddamn. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, they're super cool. Yeah, I'm pumped to start working on that one. That's going to be a cool build. Yeah, nice. No problems on the highway with those either. No. Yeah, I wouldn't imagine so. No. I had mine at 100 and a corner. Fuck. You what? I had my CB750 in a big sweeping corner on a back road at 100 miles an hour. Holy shit. Yeah, it was I mean, technically, I mean, it's like it's like a Honda Civic motor. <laughs> It's basically a Honda Civic motor. Yeah. yeah. My, my wife is looking at me from the couch. You did what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, they're great. One so bike you, I shouldn't have You also have uh, the Triumph. How many Triumphs do you have? I've got a unit, and um, that's all done, and then a pre unit project that's been sitting. Okay. Nice. And then you got the shovel. I have the swing arm. It was a FXWG, and then I put a Sportster S adjustable dual disc front end on it. Yeah. Um, I have a crazy Frank for it. I'm not sure if I'm going to do that or not. Yeah. And then I have uh, a 69 flat side shovel that is probably restamped. There's only belly numbers on one side. It's in an uh, original straight leg frame that's been windowed. And some stuff has been cut off and welded back on. But that's actually great for me because I don't feel bad about cutting it up. No. Right. Oh, man, I want to blast that so bad. That one, supposedly, it's a 96-inch stroker motor. No shit. Kind of like it's got two-inch belt drive on it. That one's running a Super B, actually. Yeah. Yeah, that was the thing back in the day. I'll tell you what, man. The whole, like, stroker thing and, like, building these motors up, I'm so against it. I'm the guy on the forum that's like, you're an idiot. <laughs> Leave Why? it. Uh, mostly just because, like, so I grew up, like, early before I got into bikes and, like, doing, like, the race car shit. Like, I built, like, drag strip cars. You know what I mean? Oh, and so I know from experience, like, the more power you try to put down, the bigger bore you go, what the more torque you make, the more shit you break. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? It's like, I, there's nothing I hate more than, like, when you finally get a bike build done and it's just nonstop fucking breaking. And like when you're making power, it's not stupid shit that's breaking like a battery or like a coil. It's like you're breaking rods and you're breaking lower ends and you're breaking valves. You know what I mean? Like that shit's expensive. <laughs> the damage. Yeah. This one's got a crack in the rear motor mount. In the motor yeah. Mount, so. Yeah. So for that reason, like any, when it comes to like anything motorcycle, I do not touch the motor at all. I just keep everything stock. Even when I rebuild them, I rebuild them stock. Yeah, I guess you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I just like that's the way, especially on the older shit. I know a lot of people say you make you can make power on the shovels and all that stuff, but it's like to me, it's just not worth it. I'd rather just ride it and deal with like the little things that break than having to like replace transmissions and all that other bullshit. <laughs> yeah, that's no fun. Do you have somebody to repair that rear motor mount? 
Um, yeah, I'm not. It's not cracked all the way through. It's like a half an inch or so from the bottom. Oh, that's better. So, um, what's that? I said that's better. Yeah, at least it's not going into the the other side of the case there. Yeah. So I haven't gotten the bike running yet. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to try to do that just to make sure nothing else is wrong with the motor before I pull it. Probably a good idea. At least to start up for a minute. Um, True. But uh, I've got some friends who are are good welders. I'm I'm like decent at at MIG. I got a TIG recently. I know you guys are big welders. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got some friends who are, are pretty darn good welders that could probably handle that. And and uh, my friend Jim over in Pauling, he's got a a pan head and a shovel head. And he had to repair his motor mount, so I think he could probably do it. Yeah, I just did one of those last this past summer, actually. I think it's just something that happens. I know people say you're supposed to shim the the motor in the frame, but I, I don't know. I've never met the person. Who That's for the birds. That. Yeah. <laughs> that was uh I think that was Rob told me that. And Rob would Rob's the kind of guy that he would do it. I don't know anybody. Oh, 100%. Would do it. 100%. Put little washers underneath each mount or what? Yeah, that's the that's the idea is that you would uh you would put it in there and then you would you poke like a I guess you would poke like a feeler gauge or something under each of the things to see if it was making solid contact with all of them. What you typically okay. would do is put it in, drop the bolts immediately through, and then just never think about that. Hit it with an impact gun until it's tight. That's it, dude. That's what like <laughs> you're gonna snug it with the bolt, but that's it. In theory, at least, that's that's supposedly is why they break there all the time because they're not shimmed. And who oh, knows? Yeah. I I didn't shim mine either. I threw mine in there, and I was like, "Fucking close enough." Well, when I got this bike, um, I don't know why, but all four bolts that held the motor in were completely loose, like hand hand. It's a good sign. Jesus. Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's how they got broke or um, it was like a crazy deal on Craigslist. I came home from work, popped on the couch and was like, I'm not, I'm not buying any more bikes anytime soon. And then look on Craigslist and I see this thing. It's 20 minutes away. So the guy didn't call me back for like two or three hours and I figured it sold. Um, but I think maybe somebody went there and maybe took the, that uh, skid plate off to look at the numbers or something. So either that or the guy just rode it until the bolts got completely loose and cracked the motor mountain. And it was like, well, I don't feel like fixing this anymore, you know? Right. And then he's like, all right, I don't know much about it. Selling for a good deal. Well, <laughs> he's there, the guy did not want to tell me any detail about it, except for like the history of it. But he's like, I'm not making any promises. You're just going to have to look at it yourself. Oh, you know, he broke I'm not that. guaranteeing. 100%. He broke that. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> that's yeah. what you that's how you pitch the bike when you know it and you're like your conscience is screaming at you to say something you're like look i'm not even gonna lie to you i'm not telling you anything <laughs> but you'd think that he would at least tighten the bolts down yeah after you broke them yeah then you then you tighten them down and you go all right i don't know much about it but i'm selling it so <laughs> yeah. hopefully you don't notice these faults yeah I didn't until I got home, but I would have still bought it. Dude, that, yeah, honestly, though, that's a small fix, though. That's that that'll get done in a in an hour. Um, for a person who's familiar with working on Harley's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gotta yeah. figure out how to like. I mean, I guess you just the the belt is loose. I tightened it by pushing the motor forwards and tightening it down. But you just you don't have to take the pulley off or anything. You just slide the whole thing out. Oh, you it doesn't even have a primary in it. 
the the uh, the drive belt? Uh, yeah, the primary belt. Yeah, yeah. Those in some of the plates, some of those transmission plates actually had screws where you could adjust them. You twist an Allen head, and it it tensions the uh, it slides the primary back, or excuse me, slides oh, the transmission seen. back, which tightens that primary belt for you. And then the the other ones just had a sliding slot basically you have to push it yourself yeah it seems simple i mean it's a it's a it's a chopper so it doesn't have a lot of parts on it to take apart so really i just gotta pop the motor out and have it welded only thing i want that i want to mention that i found out over the uh summer is start with that belt a little with a little bit of slack in it because i found out that if you tighten it everybody told me oh you got to tighten that down it's got to be really fucking tight if you tighten it too much, the clutch will walk. I don't know why, but it does. And then I lose it and it didn't walk anymore. Well, when I was looking up how to tighten it, the what I found was that you have to be able to twist the belt to like 45 degrees. And oh, it's got to be loose enough that you, you could twist it a little bit. I see. So that like the, as a way of knowing what if your tension's right. Yeah, instead of measuring up a down movement, I yeah. guess with a especially with a wider belt, you know, it's like that's a pretty good indication of how tight it is. What size belt does it have on it? That one's a two inch belt. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good size. Two. I like the two and the one and a half. And then once you get beyond that, it gets pretty pretty fucking big. Yeah, they get giant. Um, I, yeah, my uh, fifty EL has a one and a half, and it came open. And then I just picked up a, uh, I think it's an old Paco, old Chrome primary inner and outer. And I think that the one and a half will fit inside of that. It definitely, uh, if it's the same one that I have, I I think it definitely would because I have a one and a half and I have that same inner and outer primary and it fits in there. Yeah, but I know they made a couple different models and I think yours is different because yours is older. So I'm not sure how how deep the dish is on the inner primary, but I think you can bolt the inner primary right up. Cause you have that tab coming off your oil, oil bag, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking handy, dude. So you can just throw that thing right on there. Yeah. Yeah. I just got to pull the, the belt, uh, the, um, the pulleys off. I hear that can be kind of a bitch. Actually. I, I haven't taken mine off since I ran it, but it definitely, Sometimes I hear they can get stuck on there. You might need a puller. Uh, yeah, the same friend I got the primary from has the puller. He said I could borrow it. It's one go. of those things I've never gotten into. But I think with a lot of those things, once you get into it, once you actually do it, um, it's so much easier. Like you can read it in a manual a hundred times and you're like, what does that mean? And then as soon as you get your hands on it, you can figure it out. Exactly. Now that'd be a cool one to see, man. I'm interested to see that one come together too. Yeah, thanks. I think I'm going to leave that kind of like a, just like a fifties bobber, like mostly stock. I removed the rear half of the, the hinge fender. Um, I have a jockey lid for it and uh, a tank, like just a repop tank shift setup because it's got the repop tank shift tanks on it. Yep. So I think I'm just going to do something like they would have done out of the fifties. Jockey lid. That's the one that uh, like you, you actually, it stays in that gear. Like it, you move it one, two, three, and four, right? Yeah, uh, and it it sounds backwards because when I think of jockey lid, I'm thinking of jockey shifts, but it's right. It's not. 
the jockey shift just goes back and forth, back and forth, but the jockey lid um, has positions for each of the gears. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one I, with the tank shift, I always thought that was interesting. I always wondered how, what it would feel like, like if it would be easy to, uh, to find that next gear without overshooting it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Right. You're like, I'm going to see. Yeah. It should be interesting too. Cause it's got the, the rocker clutch on it, which seems oh. like a pretty neat idea. Yeah. You got all the, all the vintage goodies on that thing, huh? Yeah, that's another one I lucked out. That was at a shop. Um, so the guy crashed it into a car. He had actually crashed it twice. He had owned it for a long time, since the 90s. And apparently he crashed it twice, uh, once in the 90s and then a few years ago. It had a soft tail front end on it with a disc, and uh, it was all bent up. So I took it off and put the original hydroglide on, and uh, the frame looked straight. Um so yeah, it was at uh, the shop locally. That was like an old gray beard that had a shop down the street. And it, uh, I remember when he got it in, he was going to fix it for the guy. And uh, you know, I was eyeing it, asked him what he wanted to do with it. And he's like, oh, it's a customer's bike. Um, then a few years later, I asked him again. He's like, oh, you know, the guy doesn't want to fix it, so it's going to be for sale. And uh, gave me a good price on it too. So I lucked out on nice, it. Dude. How does that hydroglide front end compare to the soft tail front end? Is it shorter? I always wondered what the difference there was. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if the soft tail front end was stock or extended at all, but it was definitely like the those hydroglides are surprisingly short. Yeah. Between the trees, yeah, like between the trees and the top of the lowers, there's it almost seems like there's only like five or six inches at most. Well, because so I have, they have those. Uh, what's that? No, no, go ahead. Because they've got those cowbells that cover it, and they're not very big at all. They're only about six inches long. They cover like the whole fork seal um, where it flares out and everything. Yeah, I was always curious about that because I have mine was a just a, a fat boy, so it has the regular soft tail front end from the Evo. But I always see these pictures of the Hydroglide front ends, and it makes me want to do a fucking lowering kit on mine because I'm like, dude, these were like right over the tire. Like I felt like the headlight cowl. Cause they got that same thing that, that my fat boy had that little nacelle and dude, it's, it's only like four inches between that and the top of the tire on those hydroglides. Yeah. They look really cool. I love them. If anybody's holding the hydroglide, hit your boy up. I'm going to swap that out. <laughs> Are you looking for one of the drum brake ones? That'd be even, that'd be even better. Yeah, they're not that hard to find. I think I've got another one I was going to rebuild for this. So I might actually have the uh, the one that's on it. I might be uh, selling that later on. Oh, there you go. I'll keep an eye out. They're, for um, yeah, they're they're not that expensive. It's not like you're, you know, you're not paying like Springer money for those things. Right. It would just be, I think it would take all the same. Uh, I think the next stem would be the same. Not sure that that changed at all. I'd have to look up the length see if that's uh any if it got taller or shorter yeah no i think yeah i think this the uh, big twin springers and these wide glides uh are all the same and i know those wide glide trees those 41 trees went from 40 48 or 49 up through shovelheads so exactly the same because i think the set that i have on the now is actually a shovelhead lower tree oh that's cool yeah, and I got a I got an original uh, panhead set at a swap meet in Jersey a few months ago. 
So you got you got some good finds over there, man. Yeah. That's rad, dude. So yeah, some Harleys in the works. You cleared up some excess questions that people have been asking us for a long time too. So there's definitely going to be some excess people getting after it after listening to this one. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, glad I can help out and um, hopefully, you know, get in more people into Japanese bikes and, and appreciating them and building them because I like to see them out there. Yeah, well, you gave him the you gave him the blueprint, man, for all the way from the ignition, uh, all the way up to the gearing and and how to physically set them up. So, if people have questions for you, though, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, you can just hit me up on Instagram at Speed and Noise, one word. Fuck yeah, dude! Well, super appreciate you coming on, man. This is this is awesome, and we'd love to have you back after you do that trip too, because I'm sure there'll oh, be plenty more to talk about. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm sure the other guys would love to come on too. Uh, we've got kind of a, I didn't mention this, but surprised I didn't mention it. We have a little group of guys. Uh, some of the guys that are going with us are part of it. Uh, all into vintage bikes. And and I guess the requirement is you got to have a, Jap- a vintage Japanese bike. And we're, we call ourselves the uh, Shishimi boys. So you got uh, to have the Shishimi boys on in another time. Yeah, man. Tell them to hit us up. That's awesome. Cool. Absolutely, Thanks, man. Guys. We will be talking to you soon, and, and good luck if we don't catch up with you before you go. All right, great. Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm sure I'll see you guys at some events. All right, guys. Big thank you again to Kevin for coming on to take us through the 20 XS builds and the Triumphs, the Harleys. Super cool. Can't wait to hear more about that uh, that long-term trip. We will reach back out so we can get him on when he gets back from the, the cross-country tour. In the meantime, before we close this one out, we got to thank some of the people that make this show possible. First up, we got Deadbeat Customs out in Tewksbury, Massachusetts. Swing on over to deadbeatcustoms.com. And when you are at checkout, make sure you use code LOWLIFE to save yourself a couple bucks. Next, we got Hypnic Jerk Customs out there in Sydney, Australia, cooking up the dopest headlights, taillights, indicator lights, jockey shifters, points, covers, and a whole lot more. Get that goodness over at hypnicjerkcustoms.com. Next up, we got Stay Strong Co., the homie John Luke. I just got a care package from him the other day. Huge shout out to him for that. Appreciate the fuck out of you, brother. Uh, If you are in need of another case of hot sauce, he makes the dopest hot sauce in the motherfucking game. Get it by shooting him a message at Stay Strong Co. LLC on Instagram. Next, we got Steel City Blacksmithing. The homie over there in PA absolutely crushing the game. If you need custom smithing work, hit up Josh at Steel City Blacksmithing on Instagram. Next, we got Ray's Hell Motorcycle Co. The homie Ben Daly out there in upstate New York doing custom work, full builds, a full merch line, and more. Hit him up at Ray's Hell Motorcycle Co. On Instagram. And then last but not least, we got the homie Dan Bliss out there in Manchester, New Hampshire behind No Luck Paintworks. If you've got something in need of paint, do not wait around on it all winter because he's going to book up fast. Hit him up on Instagram at No Luck Paintworks. So this brings us to the end of this episode. We are stoked that Kevin let us know that these XS 650s can hit those highway speeds. The right sprocket, some points, 
and the right jets are all it needs. Early in the morning, rising to the street, light me up that cigarette and I'll strap shoes on my feet. Got to find the reason, reason things went wrong.